Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. This is a really sad but also joyful day because this is our last episode of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, episode number 70. And my goal is to end this podcast well and to speak a good and solid word about what I see as our main work in the coming weeks and months as a faith community and as a church. And whenever I've prayed about that, two things have come to my mind. Number one is we have to keep moving. It's going to take a lot of work and faith and courage and a willingness to try and fail and learn as we go. But if we're going to exit this pandemic well, we will need to keep shifting and adapting and learning and pivoting until things feel a little bit more stable and a little bit more like they used to or whatever the new normal is going to be. And then second, not only do we need to keep moving, but we need to keep moving towards each other. We need to reconnect. We need to reconnect with worship, yes, but even more, we need to reconnect with each other. And I think we all know that we need to reconnect with each other, and that part of what makes church so meaningful and soul-filling are the relationships that we foster. And in the coming months, our work really is to work on those relationships and to reconnect in a way that's appropriate for us. And so whenever I think about those two goals that I've identified for St. Michael's, movement and relationship, my mind immediately goes to the central doctrine of the Christian faith, and that is the Trinity. And so I don't really know if I'm biting off more than I can chew, but after 70 episodes and 15 months, whenever I look back and when I look forward, my intuition is that if we're going to keep moving and loving and staying connected to one another, that if we're going to do that well, that our work and efforts need to be grounded in the revelation of God as Trinity. And what the Trinity means, if we're going to state it in negative terms, is that there are two things that Christians say God is not. Number one, God is not distant. And number two, God is not static. And so in Anglican theology, and really just Orthodox Christian theology in general, but Christians believe that God is a moving connection or an active and imminent and transcendent dynamic relationship, which we call the Trinity. And this is the mystery that says that God is too many, too relational to be just one, and yet too one, too unified to be many. Three persons, one divine nature, as the church fathers like to say. And so to illustrate I want you to think back to a church service at St. Michael's or wherever you attend church, if you're not part of our community, um, before the pandemic began, where there was a church procession, right? The cross goes first, and then maybe the choir after the cross, and then the clergy, and we call that a church procession. 
and this is something we do at the beginning and end of worship. But in the Episcopal Church, at least, our worship begins with a procession, and it ends with a procession. It begins with movement, and it ends with movement. And so movement, action, a gathering in and a sending forth, this back and forth movement is what bookends worship in the Episcopal Church. And so the question is, well, why? Well, on the one hand, it's obviously utterly practical. You need a start time and an end time. We've got to make sure the acolytes and choir are all lined up and seated on time. But more than the practical considerations, a church procession is actually a profound, symbolic, theological statement about what we believe to be true about God. Namely, that within the Godhead, that there is movement, there is action, there's a procession, there's a gathering in of love and ascending forth of love, and we call this movement the Trinity. And so again, the Trinity is our belief that God is one and that three distinct persons constitute this oneness by virtue of the eternal relationship they share. We call these persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not because we believe God is male, but because no words could ever capture such a mystery. And so the best we could do is give expression to the mystery by using the metaphor of a parent and child, the spirit being the love that constantly flows between them. But the point is that Father, Son, and Spirit eternally and continually process out of one another and into one another, that there is movement and action, a gathering in of love, and a sending forth, and that this movement is one and that this movement is God. And so to go back to this image I offered of the liturgical procession, what's actually taking place in worship as we process in and process out, as we gather people in each week and then send them forth, is that in our worship, the Episcopal Church is symbolically embodying the action of the triune God where the procession is eternal, where there's movement, there's relationship, there's a gathering end and a sending forth of love that's so essential to the Trinity that to describe what's happening, we just say God is love. In other words, God is this gathering end. God is this dynamic relationship. God is this sending forth, this procession. God is love. That is who we believe God is. Now, I want you to stay with me because I want to do a little bit more theological groundwork before we shift and get practical and start to draw out what this means for our community in the coming weeks and months. So Episcopalians and, and Christians, again, in general, we don't believe that what happens in the Godhead is contained there. We believe that there is an intentional spilling out. In other words, we believe that God freely chooses to process out of God's self into creation, and this we call the procession of the Holy Spirit. As we say every week in the Nicene Creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. In other words, as Episcopalians, 
um, as we process from the church into the world and from the world into the church on Sunday morning, all we're really doing here is mimicking the Spirit who eternally processes from God into the world as the Spirit fills the entire creation and then brings that same creation back into God. And what that means, we believe, and and this is really the point I've been trying to get at, what we believe is that the world we inhabit is already filled with the presence of God. The Spirit is always proceeding from the Father and the Son into the world, marching out, exiting, filling the earth. As we process out of the church, all we're really doing is mimicking the Spirit, processing out of the Godhead and into the whole creation, filling the whole earth. As it says in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens... You are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. In other words, where can I go from your spirit, the psalmist asks. And of course, the answer is nowhere. Because before you get there, the spirit has already processed out and beat you there. And so as Christians, you know, do we believe that God and creation are distinct? Yes, absolutely. But we also believe that creation would not be creation, that it would literally cease to exist if God were not always entering into relationship with it and sustaining it at every moment. And so the doctrine of the Trinity informs what Episcopalians believe about God and creation in some really significant ways. The first being, again, that God is not distant, that God is not static, but that God is a relationship. That God is a relationship characterized by mutual service and love. That is the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is love, that God is mutual service. The ground of all being, to quote Paul Tillich's phrase, is mutual service and love. And so that's really the first principle, that before God forms a relationship, God is a relationship. And then number two, this relationship with a capital R, which we call the Trinity, this relationship we call God, has chosen freely to enter into a relationship with humanity and with all of the creation. And this, of course, is what we celebrate at Christmas with the birth of Jesus, and we call that the Incarnation. And so, really quickly, I'm going to read a portion of our scriptures where we see these two principles at play, specifically the opening verse of John's gospel, where because John knows he's dealing with a mystery, John begins his gospel much like the book of Genesis by writing a poem. And so, this is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 14. And I'm going to use the message translation by Eugene Peterson. The Word was first, the Word present to God, God present to the Word. The Word was God in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without him. What came into existence was life. 
and the life was light to live by. The lifelight blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So here ends the reading. A few things I just want to point out about this lovely poem in our scriptures. First, you have the word and God in relationship from the beginning, that there is this presence between them. The word present to God, God present to the word. And so you have three things there. Word, God, presence. Father, Son, Spirit, Trinity. Okay, But then second, you have this processing out that we've been talking about. The word becomes flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood, John says. And the word does this to form a relationship with the creation, a relationship that John characterizes as life and as a light that expels all darkness as the very agent of creation itself. Everything was created through this, John says, and nothing, not one thing, has come into being without this relationship. And so with all that groundwork being laid, what does all this have to do with us? How does this relate to our mission as we seek to exit this pandemic with faith and courage and love? Well, for starters, we begin by reaffirming the core implication of the Trinity, which is that relationship is literally everything. And it's such a simple idea, but it's so important relationship is everything. That is what the Trinity tells us, meaning that our work as a church is to keep moving, to keep leaving ourself, to keep processing out of our selfishness and seeking the other until we're all back in relationship together. And this may happen quickly and naturally, or it may not happen quickly at all. I don't know. Time will tell. But movement and relationship This is our work because this is who we say God is and because we believe that relationship is literally everything. And, you know, we see this so clearly, not just in the Gospel of John and in the Bible as a whole, but in the creation story in the book of Genesis. I mean, right in Genesis chapter 2, there's this great story of Adam and God who are spending time together in the Garden of Eden way before the fall happens. And so in Genesis chapter 2, there is no sin, there's no disobedience, there's nothing that damages Adam's relationship with God. And Genesis tells us that everything God has created is good and marvelous. There's a constant refrain that has occurred throughout the first chapter of Genesis, and that is the word good, right? God created the heavens and the earth, and God saw that it was good. God created light, good. The ocean, good. All types of plants, good. But in the opening chapter of Genesis, God looks at the man he's created, and for the first time, God says, oh, not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. Why? Why does God say not good? And the reason God looks at Adam and says not good is because Adam is alone. 
Or if you want a more accurate translation of the Hebrew, Adam is disconnected. Because remember, God made Adam in God's image, and God is a relationship, meaning Adam can only image God if Adam connects with a human being at a deep, deep level. The only problem is there's no one there for Adam to connect with. And according to God, Adam's situation, even though there's no sin, no disobedience, it's still not good because Adam is not connected. Now, as you may recall, the story then takes something of a comedic twist. And, you know, we often miss this. Uh, But Genesis uses humor to communicate this truth because if you read the story carefully, which I fear we never really do, it's almost like God becomes Adam's wingman and tries to set him up with a partner. Adam is lonely and God wants Adam to have a companion. So what does God do? Well, God makes a bunch of animals and parades them in front of Adam, hoping that Adam might connect with one of them. And so here's Adam, he's alone in Eden, and God brings to him animal after animal. Uh, horse, buffalo, cat, lizard, rat, cheetah, you know, animal after animal. And God says to Adam, you know, Adam, take your pick. With which of these would you like to partner? But as the story goes, and I quote, For the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. And so Adam's situation stays the same. He is still not connected with a human being. And Genesis says this is not good. Now, this scenario in Genesis chapter 2 with Adam and the animals, it's obviously absurd. And the truth is, it's meant to be absurd. It's absurd to think that people like us, people that God created to connect with other people, it's absurd to think that we could have the same vital connection with an animal or with a tablet or with an ideology or with an idea or with anything else for that matter. Um, I had a Bible study leader in high school, and he loved to tell us that we all had a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. And for the record, I think that he was on to something there, and Augustine said something very similar in his confessions. But The first chapter of Genesis seems to suggest that we also have a human-shaped hole that God chooses not to fill. I mean, think about it. Adam was in the immediate presence of God, but but because God made him uh, to connect deeply with people, um, God wasn't enough. Adam was with God, and Genesis still says that he was alone. Because God created Adam with a human-shaped hole, and no substitute could fill that hole. And I would say that no substitute can fill our human-shaped hole either. No substitute can fill our need to connect deeply with other people. Not money, not busyness, not business, not casual conversation, not looks, not books, not brains, not achievement, not alcohol, not a substance, not an experience, not even our daily private time with God in prayer. Because Adam was in a state of sinless perfection, and yet Genesis tells us that he was alone, disconnected, and according to God, that's not good. And again, you know, we've already covered in this episode why this is the case. It's because God is a relationship And relationship is at the center of the universe, and we are created in the image of this triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a perfect relationship. 
And so from the beginning of time, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they've been giving themselves to each other in ceaseless, joy-filled, mutually submissive, generous, creative, self-giving love. That's what it means to say that God is a perfect relationship and that perfect relationship is at the center of this universe. And so not to put too fine a point upon it, but at the center of our world is this perfect connection we call God, which means that you and I, who are made in God's image, we need to be connected to. We need to be connected to God, to each other, to things that matter, to things that will last, to worship, to our church, and to things that are real and meaningful. And friends, that will be our work in the coming month, the coming months. And as much as I have loved staying connected with all of you through this podcast, I'm so eager to share communion again and to share tacos and to share eye contact and to share a cup of coffee and to maybe even share a hug. And that does not mean that we're not going to do great online stuff moving forward, but only that we're going to work as hard as we can to reconnect in an embodied way in the coming months, because I think we all intuit the time for that has come. And so, friends, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. 70 episodes is a lot. Um, That is about 65 more than I was planning for whenever I launched this thing back in March of 2020. I am so grateful for all of you. I'm so grateful for St. Michael's Episcopal Church, and I am so proud to be your rector. It's been a long journey, friends, and we have a wonderful journey ahead. And so thank you for walking with me. And now a final blessing, and this comes from the late Phillips Brooks. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. And now the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now, remain with you always. Amen.